1: In the Garden with Peter Burke right now on WDEV. Our program is brought to you by Menard's Agway, your neighborhood yard, garden, and pet place on Brooklyn Street in Morrisville. By Grow Compost of Vermont, compost soils and mulches. growcompost.com and located on Route 2 in Moortown. Brought to you by The Willie's Store, your true value store right there in Greensboro near Caspian Lake. By Guy's Farm and Yard, with four locations to serve you, Montpelier, Morrisville, Williston and St. Albans. By Clausen's Florist and Greenhouse and Perennial Farm, 187 Main Street in Colchester. And check out Clausen's.com for Mega Monday coupons. By p Lumber, Locally Milled Lumber, a family-owned business on Route 15 in Wolcott. By your locally-owned Montpelier Agway, Seeds and Feeds and so much more, Route 2 in Montpelier. And by V's Flowers and Garden Shop, a heavenly location right there on Main Street in Waitsfield. Our telephone numbers are open for your participation. or toll-free for most anywhere, 877-291-8255. And right now, we welcome Peter Burke. Hey, Joel. How goes it?
2: Uh, It goes well. What a beautiful day, huh? Mm
1: -hmm. Hey, we're lucky. Today
2: we have uh, with us John Hayden, who, uh, with his wife Nancy, wrote Farming on the Wild Side
1: excellent (laughs) yeah
2: right right and uh, they have a farm over in Jeffersonville and uh, they wrote this book uh, about um, that experience on the farm so it should be quite fascinating Um, the Hiddens have been the owners of the farm between in Jeffersonville since 1992 they were awarded the get this this is a long one they were awarded the North American pollinator protection campaigns 2018 us farm ranchers award for their pollinator conservation
1: work wow and that that's pretty cool huh? and i can hear all the bees just applauding with their little wings <laughs> that's yeah. right buzzing, uh, they're actually. buzzing
2: john are you there i'm here no oh, well that that is something now uh, how did you become the um, north american pollinator protection campaign winner
3: uh, somebody uh, put our name in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, did, we didn't campaign for ourselves or anything like that. It was, uh, some people we know who are pollinator conservationists
4: and no, they what I work They uh, must
2: have been pretty impressed. Pretty impressed. Yeah. And uh, so this is all part of your farm system. This isn't something that you're doing just to specifically to attract pollinators.
3: Um, no, I mean we love pollinator conservation and love the pollinators for their intrinsic beauty and function and just that they are a, a integral part of our ecosystems. But mm-hmm. for us, the bottom line is important. We are we're a commercial farm. This is how we make our living. So mm-hmm. we view the pollinators as uh, our partners. They uh, yeah. pretty much everything we grow starts out as a flower, and we need the insect pollinators visiting that flower to create our fruit, which we then sell. So okay, great. They're, they're great. partners and we treat them as such.
2: <laughs> That's great. I like that. Um, so let me ask you, the farm between, where is that? What does that mean? What is that from?
3: What, um, well, it comes, we're Located between the beautiful little villages of Cambridge and Jeffersonville.
2: Oh, right on
3: Route 15, we're right smack <laughs> halfway between the two. So that's how we came up with the name 27 years ago.
2: The farm between Cambridge and Jeffersonville. <laughs> that's great. I love it. Um, so uh, there's a um, uh, there's a lot of information about you guys. You certainly have been busy, that's for sure. Now, you... Um, Your wife uh, is a writer, a farmer, an artist, former environmental engineer professor. She has a degree in biology, ecology, environmental engineering, English, studio art, and creative writing. She was awarded a Vermont Arts Council creation grant to work on this book and has published numerous articles on food and farming. So and and for yourself it says here that you've been working on design and implementation of agricultural systems with positive environmental and social outcomes from over 35 years in a researcher as a researcher extension agent university educator international consultant and practicing regenerative or organic farming. That's a mouthful for sure. Um, can that's, a,
3: that's a lot of biography there. <laughs> I just want to say that uh, you know, Nancy's an amazing woman, and I definitely married up. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, uh, one word in there sticks out to me and, and and piques my curiosity. The word "regenerative." What what is the philosophy or the idea? Uh, and I think you mentioned at some point that it was based on ph- philosophical and scientific principles. W- what is that? How does that relate to regenerative? Agriculture?
3: Yeah, I mean, so it's uh, it can be considered kind of a buzzword now with yeah. uh, uh, with agriculture. Yeah, uh, there used to be uh, sustainable agriculture. But yeah, I think what we realize is you know sustainable means keeping things going on and on the status quo. Sure. Well, so we've gotten to this point where we need to be healing things and making things better. We can't uh-huh. just keep going on with the status quo. and that's where the regenerative agriculture comes in, so I see. It, it has more goals than um, mm-hmm. just, you know, making a living off the land and extracting resources. It's about mm-hmm. all these other um, services that are going on, like sequestering carbon by having a lot of mm-hmm. organic matter as a, as a sponge in the soil, yep. Yep. creating biodiversity so that we have great habitat for pollinators and beneficial insects and the birds and all the other uh, inhabitants, we share this planet with, yeah, it's and cleaning sort of like, water before it, yeah, cleaning the water before it goes into the stream, and then and also making a living. So it's uh it's, it's regenerative in a nutshell. <laughs> that's
2: that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's sort of like treating Mother Earth like uh, she was your mother, right?
3: <laughs> well, yeah, which she is, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, Oddly enough, well named. <laughs> uh, so. um You have, uh, let's see. You still you do make a living from your farm, and from what I read, is a lot of it is in growing fruits and perennial plants. Um, What kind of fruits are you growing?
3: Well, so yeah, you know, we started out actually as uh, in livestock. So the book is about um, how we've evolved over the years and how our philosophies Mm -hmm. and, and practices have changed. So we started out with livestock. And then we uh and that was great. we did management intensive grazing, mixed species livestock, everything from a fifty u flock of sheep we had sows on pasture, raising piglets and uh heifers rabbits
4: chickens mm-hmm.
3: meat bear, turkeys, and then we moved into vegetables with the livestock integrated and for the past ten years or so we've been focusing on uh, the perennial fruit, so mm. we grow about thirty different kinds of fruit now, which is another strategy for us to be um stable and resilient
2: and i and i i have to confess that that, that was about uh 20 more fruits than i was familiar with i i read <laughs> i read the chapter on uncommon f- berries and uncommon fruits and uh it's quite impressive there's a lot there that um well i wouldn't even thought to grow
3: yeah well we're finding uh we started planting about uh, ten years ago. Really, some of these unusual berries, like uh, well, black currants, we've been growing for about fifteen years. But we've also been growing things like aronia and uh, gooseberries and elderberries. And we're finding a great uh, market with all the beverage entrepreneurs here in
4: Vermont.
3: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, you know, we certainly makers. have plenty
2: of those, don't we?
3: <laughs> yeah, there's cider <laughs> makers and beer makers and wineries and soda makers. And we have a lot of uh, small businesses that are making jams and jellies. Oh, yeah. So they're always looking for something new and interesting. And um, you mm-hmm. know they have all this great organic fruit for them to, to play around with. We love supporting other small businesses. Mm-hmm. That way. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's really been fun to get people to try new things. We just, uh, uh, we just picked, um, uh, 650 pounds of aronia and we split that. Some is going to, uh, uh zero gravity, uh, brewing in Burlington uh, and some uh-huh. going to a shackberry cider too okay all products. right so, all right let's, really let's and we usually get some free
2: product yeah that's a nice bonus i'm sure <laughs> uh so let me take a one step back and you've mentioned this twice eronia mm-hmm. joel how about you is that no uh-uh. Okay, we're both at a loss. What is Aronia? Uh,
3: yeah, we'll get you guys up to speed. That's a that's the next big thing, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All it's
2: right, a, I'm ready for a, the next big Aronia
3: thing. Aronia is, uh, it's the it's common name, Aronia, but it's also the genus name, you know, the scientific Latin name is Aronia.
4: Uh-huh.
3: Oh, not, not car, um, we also call it black chokeberry. Oh, it's, okay. And it's a native plant, so it grows here in Vermont and other places in the Northeast. It uh, tends to like wetter, uh, heavier soils that's where you see it growing uh, in nature,
4: mm-hmm. and
3: uh, it has the highest antioxidants of anything that we can grow I'm no northeast it just uh it blows you know blueberries and cranberries and all those other fruit out of, out of the water in terms of how much uh antioxidants it has well, so a little, it's a little rugged to eat it's uh it's called chokeberry for a reason because it's got a lot of tannins <laughs> in it yeah okay uh, uh, so It's the soil and like. Yeah. Okay. I
2: remember. I remember uh, choke cherries quite well from from when I was a kid because we'd look at those berries and think, "Oh boy," and grab a handful of them and just about choke.
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So choke cherries are similar like that. They're very astringent. Uh uh-huh. But this the aronia, it's a uh, it's a beautiful purple color. Uh-huh. Blend it with uh, other things like we like to blend it twenty percent aronia juice with eighty percent apple cider. It makes a phenomenal. Mm. Mm. Mix the tannins in it, really give you a good mouth feel, oh. and you get all the other, um, you know, all the other uh, benefits of, of those antioxidants. So, so we we actually, it's really uh, up and coming. We sell, uh, we have a fruit nursery also, so we um, sell fruit trees and dairy bushes and pollinator conservation plants, cool. and uh, they're the oleonia sales that have really been picking up over the last few years. So homeowners are catching on, so.
2: Well, uh, I'm glad to
3: get you guys up to speed there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, good, good. It's something to look forward to for sure. And I know noticed-
3: oh, it's beautiful. It's also the most gorgeous plant too. Green glossy leaves that turn. Uh- orange red like a blueberry leaf in the fall sure and i uh, have these really dark berries hanging it's 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 a stunning plant
2: so it's a it's a little like the wild cherries we see around it has that real dark green glossy leaf on it yeah oh, cool. how cool so and i and uh do you really um grow uh kiwis as well
3: i uh, noticed no. we we've tried growing kiwis no and not successfully, so okay, and then how uh, about, uh, we had some growing, they grow, but we never got them to flower, so we, uh, we okay. cut them out
2: so what's another one that's that of your uncommon berries that you
3: well, I think one of them uh, our larger plantings are black currants.
2: yeah, okay so, uh, we,
3: we grow a lot of uh we grow a lot of black currants and those uh Boyden Valley winery um, down just down the road from us, yeah, when we first started about uh fifteen years ago, so they were interested so We've been collaborating with them, and they take most of our crop, but we yeah. also uh, we also spread some of the love out to some other um, small... <laughs> are you plants, still doing, you know? the,
2: doing the farmer's markets, then, with the uh, fruits?
3: Uh, no, we, uh, and so that was something we'd done in the past. We at yeah. the Burlington Farmer's Market, and maybe some people who are listening remember the snow cones we used to do. We'd make... Um, I saw the picture, with yeah. Blackcurrants and yeah. aronia, maple, and <laughs> raspberry, and, uh, and then... Um, pour these syrups over shaved ice you know hand crank oh, sounds great so maybe uh, our own organic uh, snow cone so those were quite popular but we, were, you know we're getting up there in age so we uh we started sloughing off a few things and trying to get <laughs> as small as possible and still be able to make a living doing this so we we did stop doing the farmer's market um last year was our mm. first year of not doing it
2: mm, mm. yeah i'm sure you missed it too
4: yeah, we, we
3: do miss it. We miss all the customers and stuff. Well, we that's it. Yeah, yeah. Logging all that stuff down there. Yeah, up
2: that part you don't miss. 300
3: customers. Everyone takes a little energy when you get back with yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Bagger it all up, bring it home, unloading. You know, so it's <laughs> yeah, it's a young person's game, I
2: think. So, uh, so now you're pretty much uh, focusing on the the nursery and and growing fruit and 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 selling that sort of wholesale in a sense.
3: Yes. Yeah. So. We did most of our most of our sales are wholesale.
4: hmm
3: And the nursery. We, we also. So we make a few products that we sell in the spring when our nursery is open
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Right at the counter there.
4: Now, I
2: was, I was fascinated uh, about when, uh, one of the things you mentioned about the uncommon fruits in that chapter is uh, how you went from growing cherry tomatoes in your, in your large hoop houses to growing raspberries in them. And uh, I I found that uh, fascinating. I, I had never heard of uh, growing uh, bramble fruits in a, in a hoop house like that.
3: Yeah, we uh, we found that, well, you know, tomatoes were really a good thing to grow. Yep. You know? So we did that for about 20 years, and that <laughs> paid for the hoop houses and a little more. And then so we had a little leeway to experiment. So we tried these, uh, the fall raspberries, which are the ones that bear on the First mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. Yeah. they uh, do phenomenally in the greenhouse. Oh. Um So uh we can we can keep the we, with the plastic shell over them. We can keep the rain off them, so the
4: mm-hmm.
3: berries don't get uh, moldy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we keep the, the birds. wolf keeps the birds yep. out.
4: Yeah, I can um, see the that. The other
3: thing is we can roll down the sides of the hoop house. If we have a, uh-huh. an early frost here, like in the yeah. next couple of weeks, we start, we have a frost. We can roll the sides down yeah. and protect them because they're continuously flowering.
2: How about the fruit they're, flies? they never-bearing. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. Uh, so, And so we can protect them from the frost. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we do. Uh, the fruit flies, you know, the spider-wing drosophila yeah. is a relatively new pest that's causing all kinds of headaches. Yep. Here in Vermont now. And uh, they do enjoy raspberries. hmm found that... Um, by keeping a dry environment, they like a moist environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so by keeping the greenhouse dry, and we put uh, landscape fabric on um, underneath the, the plants, so okay. um, that also keeps it warm and, and dry there.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: That uh, they're not as prevalent. Yeah. And then also, Nancy is a picking machine. She's out there. She picks <laughs> every day to make sure that uh, none of the berries are hanging around and being targeted by the yeah by the fruit the flies. They
2: go after ripe fruits.
3: Yeah, they like it ripe. But yeah. if you let them sit overripe, then you're just going to get into an outbreak mm-hmm. situation. So you have to you have to pick them very closely.
2: Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, so, do um, what about the uh, currants? You said you did black currants.
4: Yeah, we do black
3: currants and red currants and uh, gooseberries, white currants. They're yeah. all in the same genus. So we call them the ribies. Yeah. Yeah, and they're you know they're, I'm Irish. My my uh, my mother's from Ireland. so yeah. I have A predilection for our, the fruit that's grown on the on the Emerald Isle there, and yeah. all yeah. fruit that my mother loved. So uh, yeah. got me, put in it, and then uh, we started uh, teaching people about them here, and they're really um, catching on pretty so, well. The so what do you do with coffee.
2: the with the gooseberry? Now that's a green berry, isn't it? The gooseberry. Yeah,
3: green. Some are green. They're striped. red. Um, we have some called black velvet. They turn a really dark, almost black
4: color. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. There's quite a variability in the in the color on them. So each variety, you can tell it's ripe yeah. by color. But some are just get a little pink blush, and then they're ripe. Others, you have to wait till they get really dark, dark. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, but, um, we um, we sell a lot of those to uh, jam makers. Oh sure, uh, yeah. He's Miley cu- is a good customer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. yeah well, so uh, people like to make gooseberry jam. Gooseberry. We've had a few people buy some yeah. for gooseberry pie.
4: Yeah,
3: A lot of, a lot of northern Europeans, people um, yep. that have moved here or that have that ancestry, are interested in these... Uh,
2: these fruits also yeah my dad grew uh gooseberries and uh i he may be the only person in in western pennsylvania that was growing gooseberries <laughs> and most people hadn't had no idea what they were but he also grew raspberries and we've <laughs> i remember hours and hours of picking through uh, uh, raspberries as a kid and um, he was a bit of a gardener himself Uh so um can you tell me a little bit uh about the um the nut trees that you're growing? Are you growing nut trees?
3: We uh well we planted um some black walnuts. Yeah. Into, we have a um a hedgerow and mm-hmm. in that hedgerow we have uh some black walnuts as our as, as some of our taller trees.
4: Yeah.
3: And, uh the, the other ones that we are having uh more success. The black walnuts take a while, they'll take eight to ten years. Oh yeah, they, uh, yep. uh having nuts and then uh, you know, in 30 years, they'll be beautiful to harvest. I was going to
2: say, uh, that that's an act of faith. <laughs> yeah, I, this is, uh, you know, I don't think
3: I'll be around <laughs> picking or cutting those trees. But, uh, you know, that'll be our legacy for somebody. That's it? right. Yeah, We, we did the back.
2: same thing on my dad's farm. Uh, you know, we we planted trees knowing full well that we would never see them.
4: <laughs>
3: right. And uh, that's why uh, we've been having a lot of success with our um, hazel well, tell me uh, about those. Between a hazelnut yeah. and a filbert. Yeah, they're
4: the
3: little nuts we used to get at uh, Christmas time, yeah. the little round ones. And, sure,
4: uh,
3: they are. They are great. Um, great bush, a great shrub. They make beautiful hedges or windbreaks. Uh-huh. And uh, we've been growing them and getting tons of nuts from them. So,
2: so um, say from from a bush. What what would be like an every harvest from a from a hazelbert bush? Is it a bush or a tree?
3: Um, it's somewhere in between. They uh-huh. they, uh, they have multiple stems.
4: Uh-huh.
3: I mean, you could prune it to be a single stem type tree, but they're they're more like a a, a bushy uh-huh. uh But they get tall. They can get uh, you know twenty feet tall, fifteen oh. to twenty feet tall. So they're tall, and um, yeah, I'd say you know ours are just really maturing now, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking mean, we'll probably get we can probably get a bushel. Mm-hmm. of Nuts. Oh well,
2: that's pretty good. Well, uh, one of the things uh, is um, that that I try to calculate is uh, as a family of four, you know, how many would I have to grow to, you know, to uh, contribute to the protein, you, you know, over uh, beans or anything else, you know, that we might grow and might uh, harvest for storage over a long run. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah. they're a great uh, you know alternative source of of protein, yeah. of heart healthy, oils, and
4: mm-hmm.
3: yeah, I think the limiting factor might be, uh, you know, how much patience you have for cracking the individual. <laughs> 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 but Something, no tasty, they're worth it, and, you know, it's very, uh, Mindful thing to just sit there and crack nuts. And yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I, if you have patience yeah. to to uh, crack open a black walnut, you you certainly <laughs> will have patience to do a filbert. Yeah. That's right. for
3: these, sure. these you can crack my hand. I think the walnut you got to dry.
2: With oh, I you know that. right right. There are there are tools specifically <laughs> called a hammer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm fascinated by those, and it's not really. A, you called them a hazel burt,
3: right? Yeah, they're, they're a filbert and uh, hazelnut crop uh-huh. that yeah. conferred some uh, disease resistance to them. Uh-huh. We have some great hazelnuts growing also, and the, the hazelberts are bigger, bigger nuts, and the pushes are more vigorous. And uh-huh. growing better.
2: So if I was going to do one, it would be the hazelbert then?
3: Yeah, I would recommend that crop.
2: Yeah, okay, good. Um, John, are you uh, open to uh, a phone call? We have a caller, uh, yeah. Doug from uh, Randolph, uh, calling in. Yeah, sure. Doug, you with us? Yes, I am. Uh, what's up, buddy?
3: I'm curious to what happened to the Vermont butternut population. We, uh, I remember it being a kid in the fall, that was an annual thing, to go pick up butternuts. Yeah, there's a, there's a disease, uh, Peter might know more about this than I do, but there's a disease that, uh, can you hear me okay? Yep. Okay, because I'm hearing an echo. Yeah. Um. There, uh, there's uh, a disease called the butternut canker that has, has recently been introduced and uh, tends to kill the older trees. So, and these are the mature ones that are producing a lot of the nuts. So we're not seeing as many mature ones. We see a lot of uh, younger ones sprouting up and trying, and hopefully the more and more of those there are, we'll get some genetic uh, variability and find some uh, resistance to the disease. Mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, but for now the butternuts the mature butternuts are in trouble
2: it's uh the long list of of nut trees that that have um, have uh, you know we've lost you know the chestnut uh, um, the butternut, of course, and then, of course, we know about the, the ash now is just about, uh, you know, to go extinct here. And the elm, of course, that struggles. Uh, breeders are, you know, m- making, uh, new varieties, usually across from, uh, either a Chinese or some other, uh, other continent and trying to breed, uh, um, chestnuts and ash and elm, uh, and certainly butternuts. That uh, will survive over here.
3: Oh, well, thank you very much.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, as I I read uh, a couple of places where the the theory is that the 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 nut trees have a a, a very big canopy and that they're more susceptible to uh, pollution in the air. And but I I don't know whether that's true or not. Still, it's. Uh, it's sad to see it's sad to, to lose those um those great and majestic trees really, like the butternut and the chestnut in the very back uh john i really i love this chapter the small things the chapter it's a paragraph, and uh i don't um there's one thing in there where it says, uh, one of the speakers at a recent talk we attended about surviving the future said, the next big thing is a bunch of small things. Small acts creating pocket, pockets of persistence and resilience to environmental and social degradation multiplied by millions of people will fuel the revolution we need to heal the planet and ourselves. We can affect change. And I I just uh, I love that vision because it has a very positive um uh every single person counts you know everybody can do something and because a lot of times you listen to the news and you think oh my gosh there's just you know there's nothing i can do and i've always contended well if you want to do something a garden it's a it's a big thing it's much bigger than we give it uh, give it credit for and um anyway i i hey.
3: what's That's that uh- I think it's really important that this uh book be uh have a hopeful message because yep. we are just bombarded with all these <laughs> with all the negative news and it's easy to uh get into this ecological depression or mm-hmm.
4: you know, the mm-hmm.
3: psychologists calling this thing called climate anxiety with all the bad <laughs> news about climate change and you know the and yep. there's just a lot of uh you know instability in the world and more suffering and stuff so mm-hmm. We uh, we wanted uh, this book to be hopeful and empowering for people, so we talk a lot about you know how to plant things, what to plant, and how important the cumulative
4: mm-hmm. actions
3: are. I mean, we're all in favor of um, people uh, protesting and you know mm-hmm. shutting things down and going after the corporations, but
4: yeah,
3: uh, and, and you know, they, but they got a lot of lawyers and guns and money, <laughs> and uh, you know that's that, that's one tactic to go straight on.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: to them, but uh, you know, another one is just to make them inconsequential by quit buying their crap and vote yeah. with, yep. with your wallet. Yep. So you can actually do really good, positive things in the world by like getting out and gardening, growing your own food, planting some trees that are going to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or getting more organic matter into your soil, so yep. it's like soaking up the carbon and water uh, in our uh, cycles on the planet here. Yep. Uh, for us, it's really. We think that for things to really change, we're going to need this kind of some kind of transformative relationship with the earth and all the web of inhabitants that, that we interact with.
4: Well, I so think everything
3: we're, and everyone is connected, mm-hmm. and uh, we have really come to that realization through our 27 years of working on the land and being stewards of the land and observing and interacting. And uh, it's it's very empowering to try to be, uh, you know, in favor of life. We we really yep. want to, uh, I mean, I, I have a farmer, I've heard a farmer say, you know, I wake up in the morning and most of the times I'm thinking, you know, what what am I going to kill today and how am I going to kill it? <laughs> so whether it's like, a, you know, I've got to yeah. go out and cultivate, kill the weeds yeah. or yep. something to kill some insects mm-hmm. or
4: mm-hmm. Uh,
3: fungicide for the diseases or things like that. But, um, yeah. you know, we want to be purveyors of life. So we're just, Trying to plant as many things as possible and keep as many things going, and we don't use any pesticides on our farms because we think those are just like an ecological sledgehammer for a small problem. Mm-hmm. We've uh, we figured out ways of, um, you know, getting around uh, pest outbreaks. We still do have occasional pests, but mm-hmm. by maintaining things in equilibrium, we can uh, we sustain a little bit of damage, mm-hmm. and you know that's going to keep our official insects happy because they've got something to eat get yep. happy because they've got something to eat and yep. so we don't, we don't even try to reimagine this term pest yes think of it as the co-inhabitant of the farmer as long as they mm-hmm. stay in line and don't get too greedy yep then uh, you know then everybody's happy
2: yeah yeah well put very well put um john we have a call from ted in shelburne i guess we do it's yep. a little scratchy there, but...
3: I know it, and I'll
2: ask a quick question. I've just tried every phone I have. That's fine, John. And repeated calls. Ted, you I go got. right ahead. Don't worry about I'm it. I'm going to be on a small Greek island for the last part of, well, no, the first part of November and interested in some farming things. And one I've wondered, and also for locally, is if you have thoughts about the biochar. I've seen very devoted mm. folk and others mm. saying maybe and maybe not. Yeah. And also because it's becoming more flooded with tourists than when I've been there in the
3: past about finding ways of, you know, urine or human stuff or biogas or anything like that. If any of those, I'm going to get back to the radio now, and if any of those (laughs) strike a note, thanks.
2: Uh, that's well that's well uh, well said uh, the biochar now I I saw in uh, one, one place in the book the picture of the where you chop up the fresh uh, um uh, yeah, the twigs
3: the male wood chips
2: Yeah yeah thanks and yeah. Uh, so do you guys use the biochar at all is that any
3: we don't we don't use biochar in our practices, yeah. but uh, I'm not putting it in any way. I think it makes a lot of sense. Sure. In terms of uh, we anyway we can add carbon to our soil. That's the
4: mm-hmm. that's
3: the, the matrix of life that mm-hmm. we're trying to get all this biodiversity, all the microbes and all the insects and the worms and stuff. It all starts with how much carbon yeah. or organic matter you can get into your soil. Mm-hmm. But we prefer using um, what we call ramie wood chips, which are the Wood chips made from small branches, they have a really great carbon-to-nitrogen ratio because there's a lot of, uh, you know, the green cambium okay, near yeah. a branch yeah. as opposed to the really lignin in the, in the trunk part. So okay. if you have a smaller branch, the, the ratio is better. So we, we use a lot of that to get um, carbon into our soil. Biochar could be another way. I mean, there's a lot of um, – there's been some research lately, and it's kind of contradictory. Some people are finding good things. Other people are finding no effect. So mm-hmm. I think there's more to it than um, than we we've been able to study so far. And I know like the porosity of it; it's very light, but there's a lot of holes in it, so it can absorb moisture, mm-hmm. and um, you know that that's that's a good thing in soil. It also has uh, a lot of little nooks and crannies, three dimensional stuff for uh, fungal mycelia and microbes and things more surface area for them to live on. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I mean my gut instinct is that it's it's a good thing. I, I think you need to think about how you're making it. Mm-hmm. If you're uh if you're just, you know, cooking down wood on open air then you're losing a lot of CO two and you could be losing other gases, mm-hmm. other types of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere yep. and, and causing problems like that. Yeah. So, um you know, so it's uh, there's a there's a lot to uh to biochar. We uh, used to do these things called the Hugo culture where we um Take um, old wood, or you know, um, you know, trunks of box or something that's not good firewood. potting mm-hmm. spilled in our barns. I just put some encyclopedias in one. I was building some old encyclopedias <laughs> from thirty years ago. So uh, sometimes I might throw my jeans in there or anything that's gonna. My well, jeans are gonna break down and just get as much organic matter into.
4: the
3: Out oh. there and then we'll cover it with a. Layer, uh-huh. soil, and then you uh, can plant into that. And that, as that breaks down, we get long-term fertility and great moisture holding. So it's similar to biochar. But you know, we talk a lot about it in our book, and pictures mm-hmm. uh, and stuff in the book for how to do hugel But uh, I, mean, I was really interested in uh, the callers' comments about uh, urine and humanure because yeah. these are kind of like taboo yep. on subject. But as ecologists we know that there's no such thing as waste in nature.
4: Mm-hmm. That
3: we we you know, all these these human uh waste we call them human waste uh products and uh to, they're kinda of, to me like on this planet where we're gonna get up to, you know, nine billion people, it's like the big gorilla in the room. It's like what do we do with all this human waste? <laughs> um I uh I traveled quite a bit and I've worked and lived in uh in developing countries and uh you know, not everybody's going to get get a flush toilet. This idea of taking—I uh, may be getting a little—you uh, keep <laughs> going. Idea, yeah. You're go on a roll. Like go ahead. A, uh, <laughs> you know, we get the porcelain bowl, we fill it with pristine drinking water, yep. and then you know, and then we do our business in it and mm-hmm. flush it. So we send mm-hmm. it to a wastewater treatment plant. Yeah. Where they have to spend all this money pulling the 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 poop juice out and you know pathogens and and all this stuff, and then that goes back into a Lake, Lake Champlain once it's cleaned up yep. you know come back into our drinking water it's uh it's crazy if you step back and look at it it is yeah so mm-hmm. you know this is, uh, so I think you know in the future if we're going to really have regenerative ecologically based systems we are going to have to think of ways to deal yeah, with Think
2: of ways, yes. to ways yeah. not
3: putting yeah. it in water yeah. how to reuse and how to get it you know, it's safe, so it doesn't have to happen, <laughs> and uh, put it back into the into the land that we're
4: it, living
2: on. For certain, for certain, and I I couldn't agree with you more, and there's a couple things in there that you said I want to go back to, but we have a caller, and it's Cassandra in Moncton. Cassandra, welcome. What's on your mind?
5: Hi. I was wondering how um,
6: the author keeps red squirrels and chipmunks <laughs> from eating his people first. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you, you realize it's a, that's a completely uh, unfair question. You know that, right? Because <laughs> you
3: don't. It
2: never happens.
3: <laughs> and it's all, yeah, where we live, it's all unicorns and rainbows. We don't have rainbows really. It's like, what are you going to yeah, do with
2: the chipmunks, right?
4: <laughs>
3: right. So, uh, we, you know, chipmunks and red squirrels, they have uh, natural population cycles that ebb and flow. Right? So last year was like chipmunk apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> on our they were, and, you know, I don't really mind them. They're like co-inhabitants. But uh, when they start taking the green gooseberries. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And just then taking them, stuffing yeah. their cheeks, yep. and then pouring them. Yep. And, you know, they're just going to rot. They don't even get to use yep. anything later on. <laughs> then busy. busy work. Chipmunks, it gets a little annoying. But uh, we, just, we just go with the flow. We've got... Um, <laughs> we created some corridors uh up into our larger woodlot. We're trying to attract the higher level predators. We really love to see foxes mm. and you coyotes around.
4: Mm-hmm. Um
3: you know, they're helping to um mm-hmm. lower the populations of yeah. uh yep. squirrels and chipmunks. And uh we uh we put up nest boxes for owls and um mm-hmm. and, you know, um, the, the, yeah, there the, you uh, go. Yep. the petrols. We just no. go with the flow, like okay, last year was a horrible year. We lost a lot of able <laughs> right? This year we got a booming year. Yeah, and there aren't that many um, chipmunks.
2: Chipmunks, pull, I right? have to say, yeah, this year I don't. I've I've seen a couple, but it's no. it it's the it is the one thing. I mean, you can uh, you can kill them. You know, it's. Uh-huh, it, yeah, I'm
6: not going
2: to do that. Well, um,
6: it's really a live and let live situation.
2: Every time
6: they're right, we go out the next morning, there's been a a frat party underneath the uh, tree and they're all eaten and all we see are the uh, shells.
2: Oh boy, I know. It's
6: really hard to let them do what they need to do on the bush before the the red squirrels come in and just have yep. a great time with
2: them well you yep. can wrap a bush an individual bush you know during that period and that will keep them at least at bay there might be one or two that's uh you know squiggles up underneath that but uh yeah yep. it, it, oh, it will yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. We, do, uh, we do use bird netting on uh a lot of our our crops and that if you tack that down really mm-hmm. well on the ground you can you can discourage and chipmunk. You still might get a, yeah. get a few a And do you
5: put them? And, do you put them back to the ground at all? Because ours are about twenty five feet high at this point.
2: Twenty five foot high.
3: Maybe. B- Hazel. Uh, H- H- yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, we can get that tall. Um, you can cut. You know, the great thing about Hazel is that you can coppice it. So you could cut it down to the ground, and um, and then it will take another. Probably two years again before you're bearing uh, nuts, nuts on that. But you get it down to a more manageable uh, size, where you know mm-hmm. 25 is hard to pick to get the nuts off. Yeah. yeah. If you wait for them to get two eighths, and then, uh, then they, you're giving them more chance for the chipmunks and squirrels to get them too. Absolutely. So you want yep. to get them as soon as they're they're ready to pick. Um, yep. All yeah, right.
5: As soon as yeah, before they turn brown.
3: Yeah, as soon as the uh, as soon as the husks turn brown, that's when we pick them. up oh. we'll, yeah. we'll let them dry and uh, and then um, husk them and and then let the nuts dry some more
4: and then we mm. use them. Mm. Yeah.
2: yeah. All right, Cassandra. All right, thank thanks you. for the call. Much appreciated. Yep. Uh We have another call. Uh, Nola has a question. Nola, are you there?
6: Thanks. I am here. Can oh. you hear me? Yeah, sure. Um, thank you, and thank you, Mr. Guest Person, whose name I still haven't caught.
2: (laughs) John Hayden. You're talking to John Hayden, who who wrote the book, The Farming on the Wild Side.
6: Yeah, which is what I am attempting to do. So, (laughs) this is maybe too heavy-duty of a question, but Mm -hmm. I've been growing organic salad greens up here in Ripton at about 1,850 feet for the last 27 years in my greenhouse,
4: Mm -hmm.
6: and I love it. Um... However, over the course of the last five years, the grasshoppers have gotten worse and worse and worse, mm -hmm. and I've treated them with an organic treatment. They're still here in September this year. I don't think the answer is treating the grasshoppers anymore. I think it's what I should do, what should I switch to in that tube of mine that I can grow well, be proud of, share with others, sell to others. That would make the grasshoppers think, we don't want to come here anymore. We don't like this. <laughs> um, be, because it's just, it's become debilitating. You know, no. Well, this is the last time I'll treat them. Yeah, You know, and a few days later, I look for the seeds that I planted a week ago.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, they came up, mm-hmm. but they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, is there an alternative that I could grow at an altitude that we live at um, in this? 65-foot by 21-foot greenhouse other than organic salad greens? <laughs> that's the question. Mm. It's kind of a big question. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. Yeah, John, that's a big question.
6: yeah
2: you have How any experience with grasshoppers?
3: Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we got grasshoppers here too. But I do want to talk about our experience in, uh, in our hoop houses. So our hoop houses are, are 21 by 48, and we have five of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've grown, like I said, tomatoes, but uh, those have done well. And I think, you know, even at your altitude with that, the greenhouse will um, extend your season. So you can get your tomatoes in and keep the sides rolled down while they're growing. And when it gets hot, roll the sides up and then, again, extend the season later on when things get cold again by dropping the sides. Mm -hmm. But uh, we've also, we also, so raspberries, uh, ever-bearing raspberries, fall raspberries have been great. Some people are doing uh, summer raspberries in greenhouses also. Um, we, we If you came and saw our greenhouses, we have all kinds of stuff in them. We have uh, apricot trees, peach trees, um, cherries, uh, apples. We have beautiful Honeycrisp crop <laughs> uh,
4: In the uh, greenhouse. In the
3: greenhouse. Because yeah. for us, like the Holy Grail, to a beautiful uh, organic fruit that the consumers who are so used to.
4: Mm. fruit mm-hmm. will
3: sit up. And uh we can do that in, in hoop houses. We can grow them without any spray. Do that. Yeah. And the other thing you could think about is uh some people are netting greenhouses for with uh, screening to keep so you can keep the grasshoppers out like physical barrier like that. But
6: they they can't get in. We don't have roll up sides. I think they're just I think they have eggs in the ground.
4: Yeah. They I do think land. we have a
6: population that is, you know, the kingdom of the grasshoppers.
4: Mm. <laughs>
6: Does that make so, any sense? Am I, yeah, I like it's in saying
3: that? Possible. I think um if you uh rotated and, into like take one year and just grow the the whole nations crops that do well in greenhouses. So if you tomatoes, peppers, eggplants. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. and then the grasshoppers aren't gonna eat those. Yeah. Right. So
4: gotta,
3: right. And keep all the weeds out so you can starve them out. So you have mm-hmm. to, they can't have any other stuff they can eat. So you could starve out the grasshoppers for a year and then Go back to your, to your greens. But oh, there's of perennials in that greenhouse. you got a couple rows you can. Use
2: for uh, other things to play around with. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. The raspberries sure sound good, that's for sure. Got well, speak. Nola, that gives you something to, to work with, it huh? It
3: definitely gives
6: me something to ponder on. All do you right. guys have time for a Robert Frost poem that uh, ties in with this? Or you not? know,
2: I would love to, but I do have another caller, and then I should let's probably... let's go to the other caller. Okay, yeah, maybe Be call well, back at the end. And
6: thank you so much.
2: Yeah, yeah. Take care. Thanks for the call, Nola. I appreciate
6: it.
3: Bye-bye.
2: Uh, yep, we have Freddie and uh, Faston. Joel, you... Good morning. Hey, good or morning. Or good afternoon. Yeah, actually, well, right? yeah, <laughs> that's, well, I'll take it either way. Good <laughs> good day to you, too, Florence.
5: Thank you. Yeah, um, Freddie, I'm
2: sorry. It's not That's Florence, okay. It's Freddie.
5: It's all close. Uh. <laughs> um, so I meant to call you last week and forgot, but mm-hmm. the week before, right after your show, we were in the garden, mm-hmm. and all of the leaves on our tomato plants were gone. Hmm, hmm. And we looked around, and we had hornworms.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, that's, a, that's definitely a hornworm.
5: Well, 46 hornworms later. Oh, <laughs> oh good Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was in two days they oh, did that.
2: Oh, my goodness, goodness.
5: So, I'm so sorry. Thank you. I said much worse things. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> did.
5: And... Um, Interestingly enough, they didn't really go for a couple of the cherry tomatoes mm-hmm. that were close to the basil. hmm yeah. And I did some reading. They said plant near basil and dill mm-hmm. and something else, mm-hmm. marigolds, I yeah. think. Yeah, Um, And that we should rototill the
2: soil. Yep. And you, you know, the reason is that the the larvae is in the soil. They'll come back. Okay. I think that's right, isn't it, John?
3: Um. I'm I'm not sure exactly where they pupate. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, yeah. So
5: everything you know that we've been doing is don't rototill your soil. Don't you know just open it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a vengeful woman. Yeah, and I'm looking to rototill now. Well, maybe I, in the spring too.
2: Slow down, slow down. Right, <laughs> uh, the rototiller really goes much deeper than you need to go. You know okay. what you're trying to do is just disrupt the um, the, cycle, the cycle, right? Yeah. And so, really, just. Uh, um, you know, a good raking, even with a potato rake or something like that will do the trick. You don't need to to, to go out and get the rototiller back out because the rototiller... Because
5: oh, we don't own one anymore. Well, so.
2: that's good. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a good raking will do the same thing and, and will be actually more appropriate to the to the depth that, the, that those little critters live in, for sure.
5: Okay, and And, uh, what are the chances they'll be back next
2: year? Oh, 100%, they'll be back. So so you want to make sure you do a good job of, of what they're saying. The other thing you can do is put down a piece of black plastic and uh yeah there you go yeah so what they call solarizing but i i cook them (laughs) is probably (laughs) same same difference same difference and uh now uh back to john's book i want to point out one one little phrase that i absolutely love and and john help me out if i get this right uh it was talking about one of the best manure for a farm is the two feet of the farmer is that is that did I paraphrase that correctly?
3: Yeah, I think the the, the best fertilizer. Is, fertilizer. Uh, yeah. There you go. The farmers, the farmers' uh, footprint. Is <laughs> saying so yeah. that means you know getting out and observing and mm-hmm. so, you know finding these uh, hornworms early where yeah. they really strip the the plants mm-hmm. down.
2: There you go. It's, yeah.
3: Uh, and it really helps you with this uh, ecosystem mindset. We just mm-hmm. really want to think of things in terms of how how is an ecosystem self-regulating so mm.
4: Mm. You know,
3: there are no monocultures really in ecosystems. There You have diversity and um, so in the greenhouse too we want to try to get some diversity in there and go all tomatoes in a in greenhouse. So it sounds like um, your collar had basil in there. And mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah I think you know just uh, being observant is really one of the keys to being a successful farmer and then you can learn so much by just seeing what's going on. What what insects are eating, what other insects are, mm-hmm. you know, we sometimes we'll see an aphid outbreak, and mm-hmm. uh, if we hadn't observed it, or if we just kind of uh, happened on it, we might get all worried and say, oh, what are we going to spray? How are we going to kill these aphids? But by observing, we'll see, we'll watch the uh, natural enemies moving in, and that gives us a sense of, like, okay, mm-hmm. we're not, the crop is not at risk. We have all these surface flies laying their eggs, and then the larvae hatching, and Eating uh, the aphids, or we watch the ladybug adults, and the ladybug larvae moving in and eating the aphids. So, um, if you if you create enough biodiversity, then you are not going to be in these big outbreak cycles. You mm-hmm. can, so okay.
4: Well, you can I've never regulating. had them
5: before, and yeah. we've been here thirty-five years.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
5: well,
2: You were so due then. You were due. Okay. <laughs> 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 I have to tell you honestly, the first time I saw that the tomato hornworm, I was I was horrified. My God, that thing is so big, and it just ate through a couple of plants before I even noticed it. And you think, what a voracious eater! My good lord.
5: Oh no, I took pictures and video and sent it to my grandson. Aren't these beautiful?
3: (laughs) They actually are beautiful. I mean, I think they're beautiful. The markings are are beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, just to watch them, how they're just this, Eating machine, you know this uh, tube within a tube that just eats and grows like
5: oh. crazy. Yes, and then the I found are these, out what they were uh, doing. Moths. I was not feeling the same love. Right,
3: <laughs> the, the adults are these uh, beautiful sphinx moths, also. So we've had them in our tomatoes, and what we'll do is um, remove my hand. Yeah, and, that's you know, what the, I did. I have a philosophy. I don't really want to kill anything, hmm. so we take it and put it on the uh, black nightshade out, and you know, in our um, un. Really? there's a black nightshade drawing.
4: Yeah.
3: It's a plant. And um, the reason we do this is because there's a lot of um, parasitic wasps that parasitize the hornworms.
4: Uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever
3: seen a yep. picture. Or I have seen. Yep. With the cocoons coming out of the back. Yep. Um, so by removing them from the greenhouse, so they're not eating your tomatoes, but keeping them alive, um, the, you can uh, help promote more parasitism like that. <laughs> so well, well mind mind
5: w- I'm not in a greenhouse. So this was, you know, out in the open. Okay. And how far away do you have to put them?
3: Well, they, you know, they they, they don't crawl. They're not going to crawl, like, all the way across the lawn or anything to get to your tomatoes. They're not, they're, they're the eggs are laid on the plant where they, the host plant where they need to stay. So they're not going to go very far. So, if, you know, if you take them uh, 20, 30 yards away, mm. they're, they're not going to make it back to your tomatoes. Mm. mm. Okay. I mean, you not have to like cut on I mean, how gross is that? Like, I see people with scissors or squashing or stuff. <laughs> that that is really gross to me because they they're like a bag of goo. Yep, yep. Like, <laughs> okay, I than, threw like, them in a, a bucket of water. Yeah, uh, <laughs>
5: okay.
2: that, that was more my my speed there. Yeah. And then you think, well, I'm oh going to throw that in the compost bin. Yeah, that's exactly or... <laughs> what I do. Like, what do I do with it <laughs> Right. Now what do you do? I think, John, you got a good idea. I like the transplant idea. <laughs> yeah, to your neighbors. I'll put them up on the, on the golden rod. <laughs> all
5: right. Well, that's all good information.
2: All, <laughs> all right. right and how
5: many years do I have to...
2: To do that. Oh, I, you may not see them again for another thirty years. You know, it it's uh it, it's definitely just like anything else. It cyclical. seems to be cyclical. Yeah, uh, I I haven't seen one since that first experience, and that was certainly enough for me. But I do keep my eye out for sure for both the moth and the. Um, you can see a picture of the moth, uh, um, you know, online. And, yeah, they're uh, quite large. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's huge. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's not, not quite as big as the, what's the other one? The Lunamar. The moth. Luna moth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a monster, but it's, it's almost that size. All Any, right. Anyway.
5: All right. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Freddie. I appreciate the call. Well John you you thought you were going to be here for 15 minutes. <laughs> and uh, I've always said at the end of the show is that this is the fastest hour on radio because it seems like we no sooner get started than it's time to time to quit. But before I let you go I I just have to say I saw commercial bumblebee keeping in the in a chapter in your book on the bee's needs and i found that very fascinating bumblebee keeping and and in there it said that you actually had tried this you'd actually uh, done it
3: yes we've uh we've um, collected queens the bumblebee queens in the spring mm-hmm. We brought them inside and we've um we we raised them and uh then we kept them kept them in a warm spot for a couple of weeks and fed mm-hmm. them pollen mm-hmm. and uh Figure water and then mm-hmm. once they started creating uh their um nests yeah. we took them outside and established them outside so that was an experiment i mean we're uh <laughs> a lot of greenhouse growers are having difficulties because they're trying to grow their enclosed, mm-hmm. enclosed greenhouses, so they need pollinators but yep. uh so and there are some companies that raise like uh, these laboratory raised mm-hmm. bumblebees mm-hmm. but they're also been shown to bring a lot of uh Diseases that affect other mm-hmm. native bees than our honeybees.
2: Mm-hmm. So these so bumblebees we were for an
3: alternative. Yeah. Some homegrown, homegrown bumblebees. And you, so you know, a lot of work, and the colonies never really got huge.
4: Mm-hmm. So
3: we found that it's better to just create more habitat, mm-hmm. and also to um, have nesting areas for mm-hmm. the, the bees. So we do create. We have put out bumblebee boxes, and we create. Uh, we think like you we know, get a little bit of mouse nest found in. So, things like, uh, you know, um, we lay uh, hay bales down and cover them
4: mm-hmm. so
3: that they don't rot and get soaking wet, and then the mice move in, and then bumblebee queens can actually smell mouse urine, and they hone in on really? um, on on these possible nests, because the mouse nests are usually nice and dry, and they've got some insulated <laughs> material in there that the bumblebees will also use. So, um <laughs> So yeah, so we found that it's better just to try to create more three-dimensional habitats for them and as well as have flowering resources throughout the season. So yeah, we have a whole chapter about that in our book,
2: uh, uh, how, to,
3: how to build up pollinator populations.
2: This is great. This is great. John, this has been such a pleasure talking to you and so much fun. And I, I definitely can see Joel doing a bumblebee uh, hive there. (laughs) (laughs)
1: i I would do anything to get pollinators (laughs) john john i i've been the silent partner today here on the program Uh, too many voices tend to confuse our listeners but i I do want to make sure that before uh you go you can let us know about any uh, book signings again and once again let us know uh, what your website is so that our listeners can tune into uh, the farm between
3: yeah, so yeah, we, have a, we have a website that talks about our nursery and what's available. Also, there's links to great uh, educational material on there, and that's um, com. And then um, you can order the book through uh, Chelsea Green Publishing. So if you just Google Chelsea Green or Amazon, if you want to, we prefer that you use Chelsea Green, but you can also get it through Amazon.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, um,
3: like that. Yep. And
2: and uh I I would have to chime in here is go to your local bookstore and ask okay. them because they usually can have it in a day or so. And it also if they see people asking, they'll I'll carry a few books and uh that's the way the word gets out. One of my favorite places in the world is go to a bookstore and see what new stuff they brought in. Right. I was just I
3: was just getting to that cuz uh, mm-hmm. a was bookstore our book.
2: Which one?: uh, Oh, Phoenix, Phoenix, Phoenix over, over in Burlington,
3: one in, uh, Burlington one in Essex, at the, at the store in Essex. yep, we're going to be doing a book signing and a talk on um, September 18th.
2: September the, 18th.: <laughs> that, That's a Wednesday. At, uh,
3: at seven o'clock on September 18th, there'll be book signing. And hey, we're going to bring some of our alonia cider for people to try.: to Ooh.
2: Follow. ooh so this on, is uh, on the 18th. Was that Nancy in the background?
3: Yes, that's an hi Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> say, hi Nancy. <laughs> She's walking back and forth doing stuff.
2: <laughs> uh, so that's the 18th um, at the uh, at the uh, Phoenix Bookstore in Essex. Did you say? Uh, the
3: Essex Junction. Essex
2: Junction. Oh, okay, and that's at seven o'clock. Right. That's that's great. Well, what a, a great book! Uh, congratulations on. Um, I I do understand and know the. Uh, Know how much is involved in this? It's not uh, even a, a year of writing. This is uh, 35 years of living right here in this book. So, it's uh, an incredible resource. If um, it, it's just great reading, if nothing else, you know, uh, if you enjoy reading about farms and. All of the ecosystems and everything else, if you're a farmer or if you're a gardener, there's a tremendous amount of resources in here, and I I couldn't recommend it more highly. It's What a wonderful book. Hey, John, you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Uh, Any final words for you?
3: Uh, Well, I just want to thank you for all those kind words about our book. We Mm -hmm. really appreciate you you talking it up, and Mm -hmm. uh, it was nice to hear from your callers, too. I was... uh, I was expecting
2: so many questions. Oh, they're a great bunch. I, I, they're just terrific. Yeah. Um, well, I there's a there's a, a one caption on the back. That I think it's a story about their farming practices and how they built a relationship with the land and all its inhabitants by working to heal and restore as co-creators with nature. And I just love that, you know, and and uh, you know, it, it's um, it, that's almost the synopsis of gardening. All, uh, um, in one. So,
1: well, I like uh, really. John's words about uh, the farmer's footprint being the best yeah. fertilizer. Yeah, yeah. It proves that what Yogi Berra <laughs> said was absolutely true. Oh yeah. You can observe an awful lot just by looking. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, on that yeah, basis, if, you know, if we can inspire anybody to uh, to uh, to grow more things and do more thinking, more observing, and. And you know, increasing their relationship, improving their relationship with the natural world. Then we've been successful with this
2: book. Here, here. Yeah. All right, John. Thanks again, and thanks to Nancy for doing this. I really okay. appreciate it. Hi, right,
1: thank you, uh, Peter and Joel. Take yeah, care. and we'll see you again next week. Uh, yeah. Yes, we are. Two, it is. It is next week. Next yep. two straight weeks. I yeah, guess two we're,
2: two weeks. Yeah, yeah. we have. Uh, last one is on the twenty
1: first. Yeah, so we will be. Uh, we'll be back then. Wd
0: warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling
1: down. In the Garden has been brought to you by Menards Agway, your family true value neighborhood yard garden and pet place Brooklyn Street in Morrisville. By Grow Compost of Vermont at growcompost.com and on Route Two in Moortown, just down the road from us, by the Willie's Store, your True Value store in Greensboro, right near Caspian Lake, by Guy's Farm and Yard with four locations to serve you, Montpelier, Morrisville, Williston, and Saint Albans, by Clausen's Florist, Greenhouse, and Perennial Farm, Main Street in Colchester. By PR Lumber, locally milled lumber, family owned, Route 15 in Walkett. By your locally owned Montpelier Agway, Seeds and Feeds and So Much More, Route 2 in Montpelier. And by V's, Flowers and Garden Shops, such a nice place, Main Street in Waitsfield. We'll be seeing you again next week at 1230 in the garden.
0: In my garden I free feel